This is Jailhouse Talk, the podcast from two guys who love movies, don't really know much about Elvis, but want to learn more about him. I'm Andrew Shoemaker. I'm Rob Thomason. And today we had a different idea for an episode. Instead of just moving on to the next film, we actually thought it might be nice to watch part one of the Elvis Presley documentary, The Searcher, because it goes on. Up to the point that he leaves the army in episode one, correct you? I believe so. That's what I gleaned from scrubbing through it. We just thought it might be nice to get a little more information on what was going on in Elvis's life for the movies we've already seen. Talk about that, see how that maybe changes our perspective on a few of the films, and then we won't watch anything beyond this first episode for the rest of the movies, so we still give a very natural reaction, clear reaction to the films, then we'll probably do the same thing on the other end of it. I enjoy doing research, and there's a lot that we think we can bring contextually to the table. Again, the main thing is we're not, we weren't Elvis fans coming into this, and we don't really know a lot about him as, you know, anything really before the movies, because that's where we come in. The truth of why I want to do this episode is because I've actually become an Elvis fan now because of doing this podcast, and I, I'm really excited to watch this documentary and learn more. Mm-hmm. So uh, it worked. We're, we're Elvis fans now. Sure. I mean, there's especially a lot of... I Wait, don't are really you not? Know. Are you not? Well, you, you, sound, uh, you sound like you... No, I mean, I guess the thing is I'm still trying to... I have certainly come a long way in terms of appreciating, obviously, him as an actor, which I was didn't think overly too, too much of in the beginning. I will say I very much have begun to understand the charm of Elvis in the sense that it it is really magnetic to watch him on screen and to hear his voice and that there is kind of this whether you know maybe it's just more public facing or what his talents are as a performer but he does have a certain just a coolness and an ease that is very alluring in a way and I he's fascinating to me as a subject as like what he represents in culture and all those kinds of things I'm fascinated by I don't know necessarily if I am at the point where I'm like, I would call myself a huge Elvis fan. Yes, by nature of watching all these movies and listening to all this music, I appreciate much more of it. And now I know more about Elvis than I, I don't know, know about a lot of people that I might enjoy more. But I don't know. I think that the difference for me is, like we said, coming into it, what is the responsibility of us as consumers of popular culture and media to hold the right view of any artist that we celebrate right yeah i should clarify when i say that i have become a fan of elvis i mean that in the modern sense of fan fan of his i don't mean well i don't mean it in the classic sense of fan where i'm I'm actually a fanatic and i love everything he does and he can't do any wrong it's more of the modern sense which is how i view anything any any artist i'm a fan of now regardless of who they are which is more of a fascination and an appreciation of their work, but not actually truly a fanatic. So I should clarify that. I agree with that. I mean, I am. I would say I'm at the point where if somebody, I heard somebody being like, Elvis sucks, woo, 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 or was like bashing, I would, I would defend Elvis. I would say that, at least artistically, I think I have reached a place where I feel much more strongly about his talents, abilities, and place in the culture than I would have before. So I, I think I get it more. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm a huge 
fan of David Bowie, but I would never not question some things David Bowie has done in the past or look at him as a more complete artist. You know, I just really love his music. And I'm starting to really get there with Elvis. I guess I'm not quite to the point where I'm actually like, I just want to sit down and listen to all these Elvis records with other people like I am Mm -hmm. with certain other artists. But Mm -hmm. I'm starting to get there, to be quite honest. Fair. That's fair enough. I think another huge part of it, too, honestly, has in the process of doing this podcast is hearing from fans in the Elvis, like in the Elvis community, right? And listening to other podcasts about Elvis or hearing the way that other people discuss and even the questions that you guys have sent in uh, really have shown me a different side of what people appreciate about Elvis. You know, I mean, like my, my inherent assumption is that it's like grandmothers who have a lot of Elvis decorative plates. And, you know, I don't know. I, I just have certainly a certain assumption of what an Elvis fan looks like and is and who they are. But I think that that has very much changed since the beginning of doing this project. And I've really appreciated that as well. Yeah. And I think that we've seen that stereotype of an Elvis fan and friends that we've told about this podcast. Sure. Like every time I bring up that we're doing an Elvis podcast, the reaction is always like, oh, okay. And we're like, no, you don't get it. It's actually really cool. <laughs> but if we said, for example, a David Bowie, or we said a Jimi Hendrix, or we said some other artist that I guess our generation admires more and there's not a stereotype of that type of fan we probably get more energy from those people so yeah i've definitely seen that stereotype in even friends related to talking about this podcast i am surprised as to why elvis has not really retained the same place in culture not necessarily obviously at the level of the peak of his fame or anything like that but i feel like elvis is is kind of mostly forgotten by popular culture Obviously, people may recognize the effects that his music's had on other things, but like you don't necessarily hear an Elvis song on the radio the same way you'd hear a Beatles or Stones or other things like that. And I don't know if that has to do necessarily with the the time, the slight bit of time difference between the two and them that feeling more modern and Elvis kind of confined to a pre-modern era in a sense. I don't know. Yeah, it's got to be this era that we're going into with the films right about now in the 60s, because this is when a lot of these artists go from just being pop artists who kind of rework blues songs into being more poppy to getting into weird psychedelics and and really pushing the envelope and Elvis seems to be moving at least in the films to continue to be this kind of machine to make money and if if he had gotten real weird in this time period I feel like people would view him way differently i think he is just viewed as too traditional right it's like that irony of like oh he was too progressive for his time but he's now just too progressive too traditional for our time kind of isn't that like ridiculous it's like oh you're just too traditional for that tradition that you pretty much help forge it's just like what an unfair label i mean the other thing too i think is that like i try to get my mom to watch like older movies that i think are really good right just to just watch a different kind of movie and to have more of an understanding context for modern movies but it is true that a lot of people and i'm not saying this in any type of way that it's good or bad but it is it is very hard to access the language of these older films when we're so used to modern film language, right? And obviously Elvis's movies probably for the most part don't hold up as well as other movies made from that period. Mm -hmm. His music has a particular sound, especially his earlier stuff, right? In that 50s, the literal definition of rock and roll versus it having a more modern rock late 60s kind of aesthetic is that it just, it isn't the kind of thing that is valued as much like no one does that similar kind of style people may make music that's like oh it sounds a little bit more like zeppelin whatever nobody makes music that sounds like elvis or like jerry lee lewis or like 
Richie Valens now as much. Yeah, I mean, they make the music, but I know, I know what you're saying. They're not, it's not popularized. You're right, you're right. There are plenty of people that still hold to those forms, but they are not what is popular or has really been popular for the last 40, 50 years. Using the films as a comparison is a great way to put it. It's that old style of film. People just associate, they only really watch it in a lot of ways for nostalgia. But as we've learned from going back and watching some of these films and also going back watching old movies on Turner Classic Movies, those movies are deep. And just because the the style it seems archaic to to viewers now, and, you know, I think it's just bias towards the type of films we've been ingesting for the past like 30, 40 years. I mean, also, don't get me wrong. Just because a movie was made in the 50s does not make it a good movie. Just because a movie is old and in black and white doesn't make it more elevated. There's a bunch of trash during that time just as well, right? So there is, you do still have to watch enough stuff to understand what is good and tell tell the difference. But again, inherently, we still have that same sense where we can, if you just sit down and watch live movies, yes, maybe the camera work is a little more stoic and it feels more like a teleplay maybe than it does a film in the modern sense that we think of it. But there still is a high level of artistic achievement, especially considering the constraints that a lot of people had at that time, that it takes a little bit of work and a little understanding. But to, when you appreciate it and you and you get it, it's like, wow, these people really are creating something truly special at a time before any of the technology that we have now, which is also wild. That's why I'm excited to watch this first part of the documentary is I feel like it's going to illuminate some of the realities behind the film, some of the choices that people made to do certain things. It's probably going to change our viewpoint on some of the stuff. So, One little note I do want to say before we watch The Searcher, though, is I love documentary. And, you know, you and I are both like huge Ken Burns fans. Mm, yeah. And one of Ken Burns not that he is the arbiter of all taste documentary, but an American legend nonetheless. One of his big holding points with documentary, right, is that he does not believe the subject should be involved in the creation of the documentary at Mm -hmm. all. And there is an inherent sense of bias or at least the way you handle information that might feel more sensitive to that subject when they're involved with the production. And in this case, Priscilla Presley is the one who kind of got this project going and reached out to the producers to kind of get this thing off the ground Mm. um so her and jerry Schilling, who was a member of the memphis mafia and worked with elvis for a long time they were both producers on this documentary so you know we were probably not going to talk about his infatuation with adolescent girls you know and we'll we'll see Uh, maybe it will but at the same time we do have to bear in mind that this isn't the bible on elvis as well but by all accounts is an extremely in-depth and informative documentary and has has been well reviewed, so I don't think it'll be the quite the same like documercial. It's even though I love the Lady Gaga documentary she made, it's also like we know it's a commercial for her next album kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, and we'll you know what that's. I'm glad you said that because it'll help me and you. I'm sure keep a critical eye while we watch it and pay attention to the holes in the story. You know, why is this not talked about or do they gloss over something really, really quickly? So, But again, as rudimentary Elvis fans in terms of the history, this will still be an extremely good learning experience for us and help us get a better perspective moving forward. Because we do tend to assume a lot of things maybe about his upbringing. They don't really know all the time. So we do want to be better informed about that kind of stuff just to, to give better commentary overall. All right. Well, let's watch it. All right, we finished watching The Searcher, uh, part one. A lot more subjective than I thought it was going to be. Like, I was expecting, 
I guess because I've been watching so much Ken Burns lately, I thought it was going to be more of an objective exploration of uh, the history of Elvis. But it was much more just individuals remembering Elvis. It actually dedicated, I would say, maybe 25% less speaking time to the writers than to people who just knew Elvis or were around him. I liked the the approach that they kind of had in terms of like the scope of it's very personal it's kind of more testimonial and they obviously incorporate some of like elvis talking about himself but it's never we don't really get a very broad view and i i think it works for a documentary like this i like the style that they do where it's not cutting to video of people being interviewed all of the footage is like archival footage and and photographs and and it's it's just the voices over top of that with, ta- with tagging each of them every time, which which I like because it all keeps you really focused and in the moment and it had a really good flow to it. But at the same time, we didn't really get this sense of a macro view of Elvis's place in the culture. There's a lot of things they mention and how like unique he is in terms of no one else had ever had the level of success in so many different mediums at this point and how there's kind of like the teenager is a whole new demographic to cater to. But we didn't really... I don't know, it, it was a little bit harder, not that we had to get into the hard, gritty numbers of, like, album sales and deals and, like, how did this work? I just wanted to, I just wanted to see a little bit more of, like, how they, how they make the bacon. Is that, wait, what's the phrase? How they make, how the sausage is made. Southern bacon, if you Don't get, don't get me wrong. I learned a lot about Elvis' sausage, but I didn't get to see how his <laughs> sausage was made. I, I mean, honestly, it was enjoyable, uh, but I do feel like it's, it's definitely made for people that are obsessed with and love Elvis and want that nostalgia feeling and to know how much of like a creator figure he is. It just, I could feel the entire time, all these holes missing from the narrative because weirdly enough, by having it so heavily testimonial, it's cool because it's about how people around him observed him, but it's actually not as personal as say, if you did do a Ken Burns style or the objective style documentary, but you had these personal journal entries and stuff, you get more of an intimate rounded picture. Whereas this felt more about how people observed him in the world. And the most personal stuff was really just recordings of interviews where it was his own words. And even that is like not really deeply exploring his deepest thoughts like a journal entry or something i think that's definitely why the first i don't know what if it was like maybe the first 45 minutes of this of part one was really really good or at least the 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 part that focused on the aspect of his life growing up right growing up in poverty and the kind of both in tupelo and then memphis like the influences and his the time he spent in the black community going to clubs going to churches and getting country music and gospel music i think that 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 part of it was the best part it was so focused on a very small, specific local area, and it was personal. It was much more memoirish feeling. That it, again is is information that we didn't really know a lot of. We knew maybe generally, so I think that part was really helpful. And, and yeah. the documentary overall is a really great introduction to Elvis. I think it's a great starting point for a lot of people if you know nothing about Elvis, but then want to get a better sense of who he was, both as a person, where he came from. And kind of what he was about, I think it's really good. But I think it is. I don't. I don't think the goal of this documentary is to show necessarily like his import to the entertainment industry and how he revolutionized it in that way. But it's much more about 
I mean, it's in the title, right? It's called The Searcher. It's about Elvis in his journey to reconcile both his past and what people put upon him, what the media said about him and his own personal uh, reconciliation with the death of his mother and his relationships as they evolved over time due to this fame and the success. So it's it, it does... It's not like it was necessarily deceiving us in terms of what it was about, but I think it's a it's a very particular type of documentary that is not trying to give the whole story of Elvis, but kind of focus on just the local, what it was like being in that kind of inner circle in a sense. Yeah, and I think it's 100% worth watching. I'm really glad that we watched it. And I would say the biggest thing I took away from it, as you were saying, is a more holistic view of Elvis's character and upbringing and then i'm really at that point i'm just kind of projecting goals on him like i don't actually know but it seems based off what everyone said and his upbringing that there was a point in his life where he shifted from just loving music and only wanting to play music and that's all he cared about to really wanting to provide a better life for his family and his mother and and provide a a a life that they could never had when have when they were growing up poor. I think that was really cool to be able to understand that side of him more. And it also reflects back on the films that we've watched in that so many of those stories have the same kind of narrative going on. I will say it makes a little bit more sense in the context of, of the, I always assumed, yes, that he's a musician first, but he was interested in movies and maybe he like wanted to be a good actor, but that you know we unfairly had him ripped away from this time he would have rather spent in the studio. But I think that kind of what this did illuminate for me was his motivation so much was not necessarily money for the sake of wealth, but money for the sake of taking away the worry for his family financially ever again. So I think that it started out being focused in music, not only because that's what he was around, but because it was the only thing he had creative access to. He wasn't he wasn't trying to be an actor when he was a kid because there was no avenue for him to become an actor. Yeah. Not that Colonel Parker doesn't seem to have pushed him into whatever made the most money anyways, but I think he accepted that move because it it just ensured again for him that his family wouldn't have to worry about things, irregardless of what the medium was. He wasn't pure he wasn't like the art is the final purest art form. He's more concerned, I think, just about providing in a general sense. Yeah, I think too you can see that split between him maybe viewing acting as a higher form of art than music he kind of talked about in the documentary at one point they said if you go back home and rock and roll just doesn't exist what are you going to do and the first thing he says is is that he'd probably focus more on acting and maybe it was just that shift from like i need to be bigger than just this music i'm making like i need to provide more Whereas, like we were saying, when he was a kid, he literally, all he cared about was getting into clubs and seeing these R&B artists and these blues artists play and just absorbing it. And it was just his passions, all he cared about. And then when the world kind of grew and unfolded before him and there were more opportunities, then it became about something bigger. Money probably mixed up with acting as well. One thing I really enjoyed about the documentary was how much it showed that race for Elvis, because he was growing up poor and because the blues gave this opportunity for new and interesting music to him, race wasn't even really, he just didn't seem to care. He just wanted to be around amazing musicians and and would respect different musical styles regardless of if they were white or black. And I thought that was 
cool based off the movies we've seen and how he always tries to include musicians of color or uh, his characters hang out with people of color as opposed to the rest of the characters not a lot of the time. It, it kind of is the same way when people ask like, oh, like you dancing on stage, do you feel bad about, you know, doing all these bad things on stage? And he's like, no, I don't even think about it because I don't think it's bad. I feel like that, the impression I got with race and Elvis is the same kind of thing for him. He doesn't even think about it. It's just whatever. One of the best parts in that doc is when they're just directly comparing like look he's just dancing the way he saw in churches or that he saw in clubs like everyone was yeah. dancing that way the difference was like that the gospel no one, singers yeah the, di- the only difference was that no one was doing it on a national stage yeah and so i think i i would say if, if anything else this documentary kind of did cement in my mind the idea like okay i think elvis is definitely not a cultural appropriator because again he was just he's just displaying the local influences and the communities that he spent time in every artist that exists is a form of pastiche artist that takes the things they like makes them into something kind of new but really copying other people and then eventually it evolves into their own thing and that's what elvis did he took from blues in the black community but he also took from bluegrass and other artists that he grew up around and then eventually morphed them into his own thing. So, I mean, I think it's a ridiculous expectation to say that every artist has to point out, you know, all the different things they were influenced by. At least generally, he seems to always point to, oh man, I love these artists of color. I love these blues artists. And to me, that's that's totally fair. The other thing too is that it was just so funny to go back and look in this doc where they're talking about how sonically elvis is so specific and he's uncompromising in that sound he's not he's not changing his sound for anyone else but that then we get to the movies which are literally nothing but artistic compromise right for the sake of success which which is so unfortunate again because he wanted to do things he wanted to be challenged outside of after the first movie him saying that he couldn't die in movies anymore because his mom would be too upset outside of that it it is just frustrating to see I think Elvis had the capacity to really try something with some more depth. And we've seen glimpses of it in certain movies, but I do wish that, I don't know. I just wish, I wish he would have gotten to do the Rainmaker. I wish he would have gotten to do some of these, like there was an Elia Kazan movie that he was going to do at one point. I can't remember which one it was. I feel like there's so much that we lost, especially at this time we're now in the movies, right? We're turning into what is apparently just the schlockiest of the schlock. We should definitely look into the, what happened with the Rainmaker at some point and talk about it because I I really wonder, was he going to be in this real serious picture? Because in the doc, he says, I'm not going to sing. I'm going to be in this movie, The Rainmaker. You know, it's going to be really focused on acting. It's going to be a real movie. And then he doesn't get it. And then it's like, okay, well, guess he's got to sing in movies. And so I wonder if, I don't know, his he questioned his acting ability or like what happened after that. That then allowed him to switch and be like, okay, I guess I have to sing or I'm, I'll sing and love me tender. You know, and how much did the colonel play and all that? I really wonder at what point did he really step in and be like, you know what, Elvis, like you're going to have to sing. <laughs> I was surprised that they didn't like even mention Jailhouse Rock at all or even show that. But yeah, but again, I, I like how so much of like the information that was pertinent was based directly on like what what Elvis liked, right? Or what Elvis Elvis responded to, too. 
And again, th- I think that is the point also where we start to get like really broad and we start to lose a lot of detail once we go through movies and into the military kind of stuff. Because yeah. because then it's like there are parts about his upbringing that are so detailed and so in-depth. You're like, wow, this is fascinating. And then we get to the army and it's like, his mom just fell alone and died. And then we meet Priscilla and she's like, and I met Elvis and the rest is history. And we're like, oh, okay. So there, there is certainly plenty that is just glossed right over. Actually, I thought it was cooler of her to just bring it up and let people go find the information for their own on how that all went down as opposed to just trying to defend him the entire time about their relationship and making it a thing she's like yep and there's a lot that's said about this and uh that's it so then people could be like oh what's said and they that, go look and like oh. i don't know that's not the tone that i got i definitely felt like it was a much more and we and it was happily ever after i'm interested to see part two if they say anything between like then and then when they eventually get married what happens at all yeah is it going to completely ignore his affairs because that's such a huge part of his identity i did like that they mentioned the pills because that has to obviously be an integral part of the story and that, you know, for his, uh, was it Dexedrine? I can't remember which was the first we, one that he uses in the military. We talked about this, though. They they mentioned the pills, but, like, everything in this documentary, nothing is Elvis's choice or fault, so far, at least. It's, it's like, they talk about how it was the army that gave him up. But that is true. That up. is true. That was, that they, I know, that was a regular I know practice. True. I know it's true, but it's still, like, after the arm it's it has that connotation that like okay after the army he was just addicted to those uppers because of it and that's why he kept doing it instead of being like but at a certain point he had choice to start taking massive amounts of speed you know i'm just saying the tone is very of this documentary is very like he's this beautiful soul this searcher who just the world just tore him apart oh yeah there there is definitely no point in this movie where anyone's like you know, what he shouldn't have done, or he made a bad decision, or the unfortunate thing about Elvis, like, there's not a neg. I don't think there's a negative thing said about him at all. Yeah, it's kind of like the movies, where it's like, Elvis can do no wrong or can't get in trouble. Another thing that you, you mentioned when we were watching this, which is true, is that because we, you know, going movie by movie and doing it over, spreading it, like, this time frame out for so long, is that we didn't get that same sense of, I can't remember, they mentioned it in the documentary, what is it that he was, like, he goes from recording that's all right to join to all of this insanely quick fame his mother dies he joins the military that's so much for him to experience a completely different lifestyle a completely different uh way that he is perceived by other people and then he starts to lose like we've mentioned a lot of times that independence the ability to go out without being mobbed and then you get sent off your mom dies and then you get shipped off to another country where you're on your own doing a completely different thing and 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 you're not allowed to record music and you're not allowed to interact with like i don't know that's just that was the craziest thing to me is that he has this tectonic shift in his soul when his mom dies you know he talks about his father was kind of distant in the beginning and so clearly he was extremely close to his mother and his identity and his spiritual identity were mixed up in his mother's life and she dies and then colonel parker won't let him use his his art form that allows him to process things or have joy or any of that. He's like, Nope, don't write anything like you're not going to be able to use it. We're not going to be able to sell it. So it has no use to you when it's like, dude, (laughs) I would, I would love to listen to like the army bootleg tapes of like, where it's just like blue Elvis, just sad Elvis songs, you know, like that would, that would be incredible. Probably playing a lot of like gospel music that he associated with his mother. And it's just like, dude, Colonel Parker, what, an asshole and then even on the flip side too is that then he comes home and then he's just 
pounding out movies in this insane schedule, recording, doing, and he just like is right back into it. That's just got to be utterly overwhelming and exhausting. I I don't want that life. <laughs> yeah, but at least one thing I did like too is the when they talk about Graceland a bit in the documentary, and at least before his mother passed, he was able to give his family that space to to get Graceland. It brings up this interesting idea that. For example, David Foster Wallace talks about the author, which fame is this goal of people for so long in their life, especially people like Elvis that grow up poor and they want a better life. And so it's this insane, intense goal that drives them super hard. And then they achieve that goal at a certain point. So Elvis gets the house. His whole reason for wanting to get money and fame, he gets this house to give to his family. And then once he achieves that, he's so young there's this incredible emptiness that probably opens up once that existential need is fulfilled. So then he goes to the army and he's lost his mom. He's, he achieved the thing, but it's over. And his mom's life, which is like the reason he was pretty much living up to this point, other than enjoying and playing music is over. So you can just imagine how listless he was just kind of floating around. Another moment in Elvis's life that was very visceral to me watching this documentary was when there's that argument over a Christmas song on, on a TV appearance for Elvis. And it talks about how the Colonel pulls everyone into a room and uh, maybe you play the sound clip here, but pulls everyone into a room and um, says, we're going to Elvis wants to do a Christmas song in the show and everyone's looking around. Okay. Elvis, is that true? And apparently Elvis just was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And it, the person speaking, I don't remember who it was. Whoever it was was saying that they watched as Elvis just cowered to the colonel. And then when they walked away, he was just like, screw him. You know, like it really showed that duality in their relationship where he I thought that was I was one of the better things about the documentary. It showed that Elvis respected the colonel as a businessman, but also as a mentor and a father figure because he always had a distant father. But at the same time, kind of like a teenager, he was like, but also screw this guy trying to hold me back, trying to make me do stuff I don't want to do. It was like that same experience of having to live with authority and have to be like, okay, well, maybe this is good for me. But also I, I want to do my own thing and rebel. 19 years old when he starts, right? And I know we've mentioned again before the idea of like, you know, whenever someone gets famous is when they stop maturing. But the thing is that Elvis after 19, Priscilla mentions how every summer when he was working on stuff before he went to the military, it was like he would just come home to Graceland. He was just like playing, you know, and he'd go out and he'd do his shows and he'd come back and he was just like a kid when he was at home. But then we we never, Elvis never really had to grow up on his own in a sense. Like he once by the time he was an adult and should have had all these adult responsibilities, he was taking care of whatever, everything was already taken care of for him. We, we talk about being surrounded by yes men or, and how that's just like a death to you know, having any sense of who you are as a person when any need or any want is immediately fulfilled or anyone's there to be like, oh, Elvis, love that karate. Good stuff. Keep it up. Is, yeah. is, has to be so, there's no way not to lose yourself when everything that you do is right and that everything you do is successful. And no matter what, you just keep making money, even if you're miserable artistically. Yeah. I mean, that's, I totally think that's fair and I agree. But there were, the little moments in the documentary where you could not see him still retaining his identity uh, of growing up poor. That scene where he sings Peace in the Valley on the Ed Sullivan show and he fights for that song because his mother 
would want him to sing that song. It was a huge moment for him to be on that show. And people said he couldn't do it on the show. And he fought and got it to happen. So he definitely is surrounded by yes men. He's he's also surrounded by people like Colonel telling him what he can't do. But he still has that peace in him that he's fighting for, his original identity. Well, what I was working towards was saying that how we've noticed, right, that every every character, whether this is an explicit Elvis decision or not, every character that he has, that he plays in these movies is a get pull him up by your own bootstraps and, you know, most of the time has one parent or none and is just, I got to make my own way. I don't take anything from anybody, right? All of those things that, see, those things that seem to define him character-wise always point to his childhood and a lot of like you're saying like his mother right the gospel aspect a lot of that points to the influence of his mom directly or for his mother because it made her happy stuff like that is that what i what i was trying to say wasn't necessarily that he lost any identity but that so much of that driving force is pointed back to what made him the way he was at a very young age yeah i think that's true in relation to his film persona i found it interesting that before he did any feature film people would say that it felt like elvis was looking at you through the camera something that other artists really didn't do as well as elvis did it and yet we talked about this in the early feature films he seems nervous or something because he's not doing that there's not that level of charisma where he's looking at you or he's looking at the character but you feel he's looking at you he's really shy and so I think it shows that he was really nervous probably at that time period. If he already had the skill to connect with an audience through the camera. I mean, the other thing too is point part of it's that he's so used to, especially in this TV broadcast, right? He's just looking down the barrel of the camera. You know, he has a very specific thing to focus on. Whereas we talk about like uh, in love me tender, was it this old house or those, those early songs where he's with the family on the porch is that like, he kind of just, he's a little jittery, like looks around. Like I think it's because he's not supposed to directly look at the camera and that's his like de facto go-to. He's, not only performing but he has to emote a specific kind of he has to act yeah at you, the same you time. can feel him like uh, when you when i've worked with people who don't really know how to be around a camera they look down the barrel of the camera on accident all the time it's and a lot of people it's called clocking the camera and a lot of people don't even know they do it like they'll do a scene and then you'll be like yeah you look down the camera like a few times and they're like oh my god really like it's just a natural thing to feel someone watching you and glance at it. And so in the scenes of Love Me Tinder, I can feel him knowing, like, I cannot look at the camera. Like, do not. It's like the main thing he's probably worried about. And so all that means is his eyes are darting all over the place but the camera. I want to know a lot more about Elvis's life from that 68 comeback special on, right? Because I, I have intentionally... Try, I know I know I've always heard the 68 comeback special is amazing I've heard it's great and I'm very excited to watch it at the end of once we finish our movies because I, I do want to watch it in the context of this is him finally like shedding all of that getting back to his roots kind of a thing mm-hmm. but man that all that footage was so cool and I cannot wait to watch it it's, <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's bug mad. me because I want to watch it right now but I'm really gonna try not to you know one thing I noticed from that footage too it just made me think about the the dedication Elvis has at that point to celebrity and image that didn't exist in the younger footage of him where he's just kind of raw and doing whatever he wants. Mainly he's in this leather jacket and playing music and he's sweating like a, like a stuck pig. Like he is sweating so much. And I'm just thinking any other musician would just take off the jacket. 
would just like get comfortable and just play music. And probably younger Elvis would have probably taken off the jacket and just played music. But he just wears this leather jacket and is so hot and still rocking out and playing. I would just just a moment that stood out to me of like, okay, Elvis at this point is very dedicated to image of Elvis. Not not just doing it because he wants to do it. And and not to not to knock Elvis here, but man, now that we also know that he goes commando and he is in those full leather jumpsuits and as much as Ugh. he sweats, no no offense, Elvis, but that dude that dude could not have smelled good a lot of the time. Yikes. I mean I again with all the yes men around him, probably nobody was like, Hey Elvis, uh, take a shower. Uh, put on whatever <laughs> like let's let's let the steam out a little bit watching him playing in that sweating I just could not stop thinking man it would be cool to be one of the adoring fans who's sitting directly below him but how much sweat is dripping on your face when he turns his head well that's gonna be that's that's gonna be one of the pieces of talking about the comeback right is how much of it how much of it was pre-planned to be a certain way and it was about the idea of the celebrity of Elvis making a comeback versus just him as a person or was him as a person mixed up in that and they're kind of inextricable. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about that part for sure. But, but yeah, I was about to say, cause I also definitely thought not necessarily that it was a live, probably more of a live to tape broadcast, but I didn't realize how, you know, it was shot just like a stage tape performance. It seems yeah, like, very like it looked like there was only like maybe like 50 people in the crowd, like just the people who are immediately in that vicinity. Maybe it didn't shoot all the way back and I can't really tell, but it was a very, it was like, Oh, I didn't realize I thought it was just like a concert, you know, like a live to tape concert. And maybe they like stop down between songs, whatever. But this is like a a much more highly produced thing than I thought it would be, which which makes me excited for it because I'm very it, it looks really cool. But my expectation was very different from what it seems to be. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that, too. But, you know, another thing in the documentary I enjoyed were the uh, interviews with Tom Petty. He spoke at one point to something we talked about before we watched the documentary, which is that Elvis had no roadmap for what he was doing when he was doing it. There was no one at that time who had to explore what it means to be celebrity on radio, television, and movie simultaneously. And even before that, there was no roadmap for what he was doing musically either. And so it just really underscores that idea that you can't write off an artist because of what came after them what people built off their foundation because when he was doing it, there was nothing like it. There was no plan. There was no, he just had to do it himself. That's kind of like our guiding light in a lot of ways too, right? Isn't maybe why we picked Elvis to a point is that like, he is so unique in terms of, he really is the first, he was the first to, to cross over and to have unprecedented levels of fame for that period of time. It's what makes it kind of hard to criticize any creative decisions because no matter what, no matter what he did, he still was successful at it, you know? He's a very interesting test case for this kind of celebrity at this particular time when America is about to undergo radical cultural change and him kind of getting swept up and lost in this period of the 60s that were lost in the sense of maybe creatively, you know, he's starting to flounder in the movies or whatever. Very interesting that he is kind of at his lowest creative point during the time at which he really could have, I don't know, he really could have done some really fascinating things. But that's kind of, I know that's why Elvis is interesting to me. And also thinking about the difference between what celebrity needs in the future. Because Elvis, we talk about what his identity means to the celebrity of Elvis. They're almost, they're different, but they're still inextricable. 
Whereas someone like Bowie has so many different identities for his music that are different identities. Ziggy Stardust versus Thin White Duke, et cetera, et cetera. Where does he fall into that? How is his identity related to celebrity? It's going to be great. And I think that without Elvis, we couldn't have done it. We can't do it. Well, there you have it. That's Elvis Presley, The Searcher from HBO Part 1. That's all we got on it. There's a lot of good stuff there. Some things we would like to dive in more but maybe maybe that'll be resolved in part two next movie we'll be watching is it happened at the world's fair we just wanted to take a break do a little something different hope you liked it i'm andrew shoemaker i'm rob thomason we'll see you next time thanks for listening 